Welcome to the Fright Lab. I'm Lucas Yoakum. With me tonight is someone who would never spit pea soup on you, Joseph Wren. Joe, isn't it a lovely day for an exorcism? Joe's not here, Mrs. Torrance. (laughs) All right, so the title of tonight's episode leaves very little room for ambiguity. We're discussing demonic possessions, its effects on media and culture, and where the connections are in everyday world, such as it exists anyway. That means we are going to be discussing William Friedkin's absolutely seminal 1973 film, The Exorcist. That might seem a little, well, hacky. Haven't plenty of people talked about this movie or the minor historical incident which inspired it? This also says nothing of the Catholic belief in exorcism itself, which has waxed and waned in popularity over the course of the last 2,000 years? The answer is, yeah, of course this has been talked to death. There's a really good podcast from Wondery called Inside the Exorcist that's really worth hearing. Uh, I will share links for it in the show notes. And there are some programs on Shudder discussing the movie The Exorcist at length from multiple perspectives. I don't sincerely think we're going to shed some new light on this subject, not directly anyway. So I don't want to just talk about The Exorcist, but we have to talk about it at some length, and yeah, we're going to talk about the sequels, mostly because I think they are sincerely bizarre. But there are a boatload of films about demonic possession as well, of varying degrees of quality and interest, so those are going to pop up too. This is a genre meta edition of the show, so we're going to keep it a little looser, but hopefully loaded with plenty of info. So in our typical fashion, Joe, what do you know about demonic possession and just what the hell is demonic possession? Let's start with stories from the Bible. I can't quote chapter and verse, sure, but there is the story of Jesus speaking to the man who was possessed by multiple evil spirits. And he told them to go away. And they said, please send us into the animals so we can run over the cliff and kill ourselves. Generally speaking, what is a demon? It's an evil spirit that is acting with evil intent and is making you do bad things up to including self-harm and physical harm on others. I think the exorcist established a definition of body contortions and manipulating the temperature and the general area around you. It's safe to say that most of the demonic possession themed films you and I have seen have just borrowed the playbook from the exorcist. And that's okay because it's a concept that's horrifying. You yourself, Your body, your mind, your spirit are being affected by evil. And there's nothing you can do about it. Good. I'm I'm glad. This is a great place to start, I think. You know, in a sense, we've already discussed the subject of demonic possession, if only in a slight way, on this podcast. For instance, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. It's about... Well, it's about a lot of things, Uh, but part of its power is the way it depicts the subject 
of possession as a whole, like in broad strokes. Or how about the blood on Satan's claw? While the cinematic language of demonic possession was still a few years away, the behavior of the film's antagonists definitely has elements of demonic possession throughout. Um, I don't know that we can also talk about horror cinema without at some point hitting upon like the overtly expressly demonic. A uh, good example, Ty West uh, is one of the better directors in modern horror, in my opinion. And that's without even talking about movies like X and Pearl, which are just genuinely amazing and worth seeing. Uh, but he cut his cinematic teeth with the house of the devil, expressly demonic, kind of no you know, room for argument there. So given the history of Christian hegemony in most of Europe and America, we would be unsuccessful in missing like just pure diabolical doings in this subject. And this is also sort of true outside of Europe and the U S recent films, such as the medium from Thailand perfectly illustrate the cultural differences in how we see supernatural possession as a thing. It also illustrates how fucking scary horror movies from <laughs> Southeast Asia are. Holy crap. Um, if anyone has seen Joko Anwar's Satan's slaves, it is freaking terrifying and that says nothing of the movie the queen of black magic okay so uh joe where was i again my friend you were focusing on hellhole one of the strangest polish horror films i've ever seen about monks literally worshiping satan but putting on a show involving exorcism because that was the plot of the movie, right? We put the show on for the camera so that people mm, will nope, follow. Nope, nope, nope. You're I, thinking of a very different movie. I don't know how you confused those two, but we're going to talk about at least one of them later on. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, uh, as you can tell, yeah, genre meta, it gets a little funny in here. There's so many films that have just taken the playbook from The Exorcist. I mentioned that earlier a bit, and I think those films are good examples. They're coming up soon of how you can get away from it. Because every time I see prequel to The Exorcist or a film like The Exorcism of Emily Rose, I understand, but I don't think we need another fictional film about demonic possession. I think it's been done enough to the point where you can say to many people, we're going to get into this briefly, the Exorcist is the scariest film ever made because people believe that's a real thing that happens. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later because you use the phrase, The Exorcist is the scariest film ever made. And I, I don't know, I kind of want, not argue, but I, I have thoughts about that. So I sort of think that any discussion of what we can broadly call uh, possession these are actually movies more about exorcism than they are possession. You can't have a character fall into an ultimate darkness without the possibility of redemption, right? We want to see movies where the good guys win, the bad guys lose. That way, everyone in the theater goes home smiling. It's a nice thought, right? Well, maybe. What exactly is possession? Well, that depends very strongly on what culture you are from or what belief system you subscribe to. For instance, 
If you're from Haiti and practice voodoo, not the Hollywood voodoo, but the real religion voodoo, the view of possession by the Loa, which are the, the, the kind of the spirits of uh, voodoo, it's not a bad thing, actually. It's actually par for the course during some voodoo ceremonies. You don't really need an exorcism for that, right? Okay, well, in Judaism, there's the idea of the dibuk, a sort of clinging spirit that can take over a person. It's not really the same idea as Christian possession in the way that, you know, the exorcist shows us, but it's maybe a little closer to the mark. You know, Judaism and Christianity have a historical connection. So, okay, fine. Um, the belief in Dybbuk possession, however, is not especially common. So I have to be honest here. I wasn't able to find much on that subject that seemed terribly reliable. So that means we've got to talk about the gold standard cinematic exorcism, the Roman ritual, the classic text of exorcism from Catholicism. Now, I am not Catholic, nor am I a theologian, and I am genuinely not out here to insult anyone's beliefs. So take this all with a massive grain of salt, please. Um, I found a somewhat concise bit of information on how to know if someone is possessed, uh, in part from the Catholic News Agency, because apparently there is a news agency for everything. Um, Joe, would you read this quote for me, please? Exorcism is directed at the expulsion of demons or to the liberation from demonic possession through the spiritual authority which Jesus entrusted to his church. Illness, especially psychological illness, is a very different matter. Treating this is the concern of medical science. Therefore, before an exorcism is performed, it is important to ascertain that one is dealing with the presence of the evil one and not an illness. Okay, so there are three signs that are considered signs of possession. One, an inexplicable familiarity with strange languages. So if you've never learned a day of, say, Cantonese in your life, and then all of a sudden you are shockingly fluent in Cantonese, might be a sign of possession. Two, knowledge of other people's secrets. If one day you round the corner and your partner is starting to tell you things about your father's life that he's only told you and no one else. Whoa. Okay. Could be possession. And three, a strength beyond natural physique. If your four-year-old is flipping over cars, either A, you've got a viral sensation waiting for TikTok, or you've got possession. The subject of exorcism on any serious level is outside of my ability to comment. As it turns out, not a Catholic theologian here. Uh, mostly because I want to try and uh, like prevent anything but the most factual of information getting out. Also, just again, not a Catholic. So I can't speak to the significance of the whole Roman ritual, to the importance of possession as a thing. But I have watched a boatload of movies featuring exorcism. So let's artfully pivot to that, shall we? Ah, yes, the humble horror movie trope. An innocent person is now in thrall to a malign entity. They may 
or may not, be hurling abuse at you or spitting some viscous fluid every few minutes. What do you do? Obviously, the only answer here is to call your friendly neighborhood religious prelate, and he had better come with some baggage or a dark secret of his own. Of course, we are talking in extremely broad strokes about the plot of William Friedkin's The Exorcist, based on a novel by William Peter Blatty. Most of our fans have seen this movie, own at least one copy, and can recite whole sections of its dialogue from memory. The Exorcist is regarded, in some circles, as the scariest film ever made. Now, I am not sure that I would go that far, personally. I will acknowledge that I think it's a brilliantly made piece of horror cinema. The cast is just masterful. I could watch just about anything with Max von Sydow in it, but then you add Ellen Burstyn and Jason Miller, and that says nothing, of course, of the absolutely mesmerizing appearance of a young Linda Blair. The special effects are still mostly effective, and I think the use of music and sound design for the movie is kind of an unsung hero. No one talks about this. Or unsung villain, depending on your view of horror and or demonic possession. Um, the set and the just the whole filming was notoriously chaotic and just apparently just a nightmare, right? Um, I like some of Friedkin's work, but I really have to imagine that he was a real asshole to work for at this time period. I will leave you to judge the merits of this film on your own. But what we can't get away from is the absolutely wild effect this film had on audiences. Uh, Joe, I have included a link in our show notes to some news coverage from the era. Um, click on that link. Um, the audience comments about seeing this film live. It starts about the 24 second mark and uh, around the one minute mark. Yes, by the way, those links will be included in the show notes. If people really do come stumbling out in the middle of the picture, as reported, they did. So I asked them why. It just scared me to death. Things just like this, just, it just scared, really scared me to death. I'm just nervous. Do you remember what particular scene it was that... Uh, when that she was in, what was it? When she was in a room, the doctors came in and she was and when I guess it was when she was talking the devil's voice oh. oh god I can't believe it are you gonna go back in and see more of the movie now probably yeah what are you gonna do right now I don't want to see it but my curiosity is killing me I have to see it I fainted like 10 minutes after the first beginning of the movie. And I walked out and they gave me some water. Yeah. Do you remember what caused you to faint? Uh, well, they started that spinal tap or whatever, so. And I started closing my eyes and I could hear the gagging and I was getting sicker. And I walked up the aisle with my friend and I was just ready to pass out. Yeah. I passed out in, in about the first half hour, yeah. yeah. Do you remember what, what it was, what scene it was that affected you so convulsions, much? Convulsions, when she took convulsions. Because I have a little girl, and it was like watching my little girl. I think it's disgusting. Why? I don't know, it's just, it's just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make me want to get sick like everybody says. It just, my legs are just going, Neh. 
and I want to go in the lobby and not watch it, and I have to cover my ears. <laughs> it was too sickening. It really was. It was bad. <laughs> I've been staying in the lobby for about 30 minutes, and I've heard the worst was yet to come, so I didn't want to see the rest of it. That's <laughs> pretty weird. <laughs> pretty weird. Are you glad you saw it? Yeah, I was glad I saw it, but uh, I don't think I'll come back. No one knows exactly what makes a movie a hit, but one thing is for sure, The Exorcist has got it. All right, Joe, so something I've been thinking about, what is it about The Exorcist that is so endearingly scary? Not endearingly, like it's endearing to me, but endearingly, that goes on forever. Pardon my St. Louis accent there for a moment. <laughs> um, you know, I want to be a good Boy Scout uh, of a, you know, in terms of film criticism and say, well, it's about the performances, the music, the special effects. But I can't help but think that that's not the whole story, right? It's not just the diabolical imagery works or the implications of, of diabolical imagery haven't been shown on film before this point. You could argue that a film like the original Nosferatu or the movie Haxen, uh, Witchcraft Throughout the Ages, was equivalent to The Exorcist for those time periods, given the effects and the imagery. And The Omen uh, came out a few years after The Exorcist. And I honestly think The Omen is just a way better film, but no one had those reactions to The Omen, right? So what gives? What do you make of it? What is it about the the Exorcist that just works the way it works? Let's break this film down to its core horror components. You have a family with a child that is possessed by the devil, and everyone is trying to save her. And the people that you believe are going to step in and save your life, doctors, Catholic priests. At the time this film came out, I think that was more common. I don't know the breakdown of Christianity in our country. I'm sure that's a researchable point, but I don't think it matters because most of the people in the older generation, from my perspective, either were part of the Catholic Church or were raised in it or still were in it or went back to it. Generally speaking, I think this film was made to scare the majority of the population in a way they'd never been terrified. We're not just going to talk about evil because that's what you've been hearing in church. We're going to show you what evil looks like and we're going to tap into all the parents who on their date night or Friday, Saturday night at the movies are going to see a scary movie called The Exorcist. And now we're going to attack your children. I don't think it's been done better than it was done in The Exorcist. I think a lot of films borrowed from it. You mentioned The Omen. The Omen is about the son of Satan. Yeah, the Antichrist. It's a totally different, terrifying idea than your child is possessed. Like, if this film was made in a different time by a different group, if this wasn't a filmmaker trying to make a scary movie, if this was made by someone who was trying to give you an uplifting story, the end of the movie would have been Jesus shows up and says, go. Right? That, that would have happened if this was made by 
a Christian organization or somebody who's trying to give you an uplifting story. Nobody wins. Yes, the child is spared at the end of this film. But the priest is dead, at least as far as we know at that point in the movie. I mean, from what we see, we'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get to that in a we'll get to that in a bloody minute. Anyway, absolutely. Uh, By know, the way, I, I want to make sure that neither one of us are possessed by Pazuzu, so we just need to throw ourselves out this window. That's how that works, right? Well, you know, it's been a great episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us at. <laughs> insert sounds of shattering glass yeah right and you know the funny thing is for me um is the exorcist the scariest movie ever made right like that's the question that everyone throws out there and you see it in so many you know top 100 lists the scariest films ever made the exorcist for whatever reason is always number one or at least damn near number one and i think the funny thing for me is like yeah i think it's an effective horror film in a lot of ways um especially the one that came out in oh one or oh two that was uh kind of the director's cut of the exorcist i think it's even better than the cinematic original i think it's more scary more impactful more uh visceral in some ways right the spider walk scene that somehow got taken out of the original uh -huh. like, as, that's as, a moment as well as being like remastered and things like that again again it's it's really brilliant in a lot of ways but is it the scariest ever made? Well, one, I'm kind of wishy-washy about ever saying that a thing is the best thing ever, right? You know, what's the best pie you've ever had? I don't know, man. I, I'm a guy from the Midwest. I've eaten a lot of pie, so I don't know what the best is. And I, I kind of refuse to answer just on some personal grounds. But I also think that, you know, we, we referenced in our last episode, the movie Baskin, is it the scariest movie ever made? Meh, probably not. Did the movie really fucking bother me? Yeah, it's, 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 God, that's a fucked up movie. Is the scariest film you've ever seen one of the first horror films you sat and watched? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, thinking about the first real horror movies I ever saw. Okay, so I'm going to give you uh, the, the two natures of man here in one shot. So <laughs> some of the earliest horror films I ever remember seeing, and I'm just there's two that came to me immediately because they happened at the same time I started watching horror. One, Alien. Genuinely effective, good horror movie still has some 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 effect. Really good horror movie. On the other hand, Dr. Giggles. So Dr. Fucking Giggles. Uh -huh, <laughs> yep. One of the first horror movies I remember seeing. Uh that one, like Frank Henenlotter's brain damage. Um, I've seen a lot of really bad horror movies. I feel like that's that's necessary. Uh, you know, and going back to an earlier, way earlier episode, one of the first horror movies I remember seeing is Subspecies and Subspecies 2. Are those the scariest horror movies? No, come on. <laughs> I love the original Subspecies with the whole of my heart, and I will fucking sword fight you if it if you if you're going to argue with me about subspecies but is it the scariest movie i've ever seen oh god not by a long shot come on i asked the question because this film is the scariest film ever made to a group of people who grew up in the church who were raised to believe what this film is showing you can happen and what needs to happen for it to be dealt with. And it's the first time you've seen a possession in the theater to that core group of people. Absolutely. But people also say Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitarist ever. 
He's not. But there was a time where no one had ever heard what he was doing. Right. And that's and that's such an interesting thing, right? Because something that doesn't get talked about a lot when you're talking about the exorcist is how up until the book and then the, you know, fairly immediate subsequent coming of the film, The Exorcist, exorcism was not something most people who were church going would have known about, even for the most devout of Catholics, unless you were a theologian, unless you were someone who studied religion as a thing, you know, like we're, we're deep into the weeds of Catholic dogma. And that's a deep subject you can get into. Um, unless you were actively doing that, most people had no idea what exorcism was, had no clue. It was a word that most people, I don't think would have recognized up until then. The film and the book had this wildly outsized impact on culture because now exorcism is not a strictly Catholic thing. Like the Anglican church has always had a similar belief in something that I think they call deliverance. And then outside of that, Protestantism didn't have that tradition so much, not that I'm aware of. And if you are aware of that and can show me documents of that, I would love to see it. Reach out to us, uh, the Fright Lab podcast, gmail.com, because that's a deep subject. But The Exorcist had a huge impact on Christianity in this very backwards way, because all of a sudden people began believing in demonic possession who never before I think had knew what a demon was, let alone what demonic possession was, much less what the Roman ritual was. Right, because Jesus is in your heart, therefore the demon can never possess you. But we're gonna show you an example of what that looks like. So yeah, so you get the idea. It's a very messy, weird subject. And, it, you know, coming back to a guy who is not of, of that faith, I'm in this very weird position of being like, hey, it, I'm just talking about it as a horror movie. And sure, it's freaky, but is it the scariest? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so what's much less discussed than the brilliance of the original Exorcist film is the, uh, well, mixed bag that is the films bearing the proud name, The Exorcist. For instance, The Exorcist 3 is actually a decent movie with a really cool cast, but it isn't a sequel to The Exorcist at heart. It's actually an adaptation of another William Blatty novel, Legion. Now, that novel shares like some crossover with The Exorcist, like a cinematic universe, but it's not a formal exorcist movie. That is, until the studio gets involved and demands an exorcism in the film. I was obliged to settle the score on behalf of, well, a friend. What friend? A friend over there. On the other side, one needs friends. There is suffering over there. They can be cruel. Who is they? Never mind. I cannot tell you. It's forbidden. I do that rather well, don't you think? Man, Exorcist 3, it's such a fun movie. And it's a classic case of the studio just... When the studio asks for an exorcism and just fucks up an otherwise decent movie. Okay, so we really just can't 
have anything nice, can we? It's a fun movie, but it's a fucking mess of a movie, too. And then there are two. Count them two. Prequels to The Exorcist, entitled Exorcist, The Beginning, and Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Now, both of these movies star Stellan Skarsgård, always a good thing, and both are kind of messy, like Exorcist 3. Um, the whole story of their productions are just absolutely baffling, and it reeks of studio meddling from top to bottom. I will say that Dominion is an enjoyable watch. Um, here again, it's a fun cast with an interesting take on source material. Is it a good movie? Well, it's not a bad movie, but it's lacking that impact that the original had. And yeah, finally, we're going to talk about Exorcist 2, The Heretic. I genuinely don't even know how to start talking about this fucking thing. <laughs> to start, it was directed by John Borman of Excalibur and Zardoz fame? Infamy? Fame? I don't know. Um, it also has a returningly, albeit seemingly under protest, uh, Linda Blair, as well as James Earl Jones. And I know what you're thinking. Lucas, Linda Blair and James Earl Jones? That sounds great. Those two are fantastic. Um, but this movie is just bizarre. Um, there's a psychic machine that allows a priest to battle a demon. Uh, Linda Blair is apparently possessed again, and James Earl Jones spits out an apple while dressed as a locust. I, um, <laughs> oh God, why am I talking about this fucking movie? It's a goddamn train wreck, and it can only make your life like worse for watching it. So uh, tread lightly with that one, but not like, Tread lightly because the subject matter is really heavy and it might upset you, but no, tread lightly because it's just... God, fuck that movie, what man. What was that thing you said about surrealism on the last episode? You do not get to invoke the good name of André Breton when defending <laughs> the heretic. I will not stand for it. Lucas, I need you to prove it. <sighs> another... We'll have this fight another day. It is not a good film. No, it, it's terrible. It's, it's genuinely bad. I can't remember when I saw it, but I remember when it showed up and it had to be on cable. It had to be one of those. Yeah, we, we played The Exorcist yesterday. The Exorcist 2? I've never heard of this film. What is this? I'm going to watch it. Fool. What is going on? Why is James Earl Jones dressed as a locust? What is this? Why did they make a big deal about him spitting an apple? I And mm. why is the ground spiky? Mm. I, I have questions about that scene alone. And then you get to the end and it's kind of the same thing that happened in the first movie. But worse. It's like the end of the first movie, but it's way, way worse because you've just endured like 90 minutes of absolute nonsense from it's oh it reeks of a script that had nothing to do with the exorcist. And somebody read it at the last minute and said, you know what we can do with this? Because this is so weird, why don't we make this a sequel to The Exorcist and we can get Linda Blair to come back and we can make all this ideology and this backstory and we can really dive into the, the, the character of the demon. And this was a trope that would continue for a very long time. I don't know if that's the case with how that movie came to be. It um, feels that way. I so it's I, like Poltergeist two. I agree. No, you're absolutely no. That's actually a great comment that it is kind of like Poltergeist two. I, I can kind of see that. 
Um, I like John Borman. Uh, the movie Excalibur, I really have a soft spot for. It's a, I think it's a very good movie. And Zardoz is so stupid. I'm not it's, drunk enough for Zardoz today. It, most people are not. It is. <laughs> it's worth seeing if you're a completionist and you want to see Sean Connery dressed in a red diapy. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the whole story is there other than to say it's an absolute disaster and... Um, if you watch it, I am not responsible for what happens to you. Not because I fear that you'll be possessed, but I feel that you'll come to beat me up. And one last thing for the record, uh, I'm not going to see the exorcist believer. Uh, I saw the preview for it and I've just diagnosed it as toothless, cynical, a cash grab. I just refuse to engage with it. Uh, maybe that makes me a bad critic. But no one needs that sort of negativity in their life. I'm sorry. Um, it's this sort of thing that just makes you hate going to the theater. You know what I mean? Well, okay. The Exorcist is good. And some of the sequels work. But what about the movies that are clearly influenced by The Exorcist? Well, let's start with Beyond the Door an Italian-American co-production from 1974. It's not a bad movie, but it takes forever to actually go anywhere. And it's a shame, really, since it's kind of a fun romp once it gets going. Uh, there's this sequence in there, and I won't spoil it too much, that uses like full-scale room-size special effects, and it genuinely surprised me. You know, um... It's one of those, how they do that kind of moments. And I've talked about that before in horror movies. I love those those moments in a horror movie. We are watching a special effect and you have no idea how they pulled it off. It's really, really cool. Um, there's an episode of our friends of the show, uh, Majama Jams, the guys who did bad CGI sharks. Uh, they did an episode about an Italian film also called The Antichrist. And that's worth checking out if you want to get the whole... Italian horror movie ripoff vibe thing. Uh, it's always like a cash grab on a theme. It's pretty cool. Um, I recommend that highly. Uh, check out the show notes for that. And then there is the 2019 uh, Korean film Metamorphosis. This one seemed to take whole story beats. I mean, just whole cloth from the original film, The Exorcist. But that doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. It's pretty standard fare as far as movies about exorcisms go. And there's some good scares in it. Uh, maybe it's kind of a popcorn flick. And I like a good popcorn flick here and there. Um, just kind of a side tangent with Korean horror. I don't normally get into Korean films. It's just kind of up until rather recently. I, I don't know, just for whatever reason, it didn't get me. Like old boy is cool. And the vengeance trilogy around yeah, is. <laughs> old boy is, is pretty cool. But most Korean horror films have just kind of gone over my head. But um, Metamorphosis, uh, Parasite, uh, Train to Busan. Holy crap. Train to Busan. And oh, uh, Ganjiam, Haunted Asylum are all really, really good. And I'm starting to really appreciate Korean horror a lot more. So that's so that's cool. Um Okay, then we need to talk about The Exorcism of Emily Rose. This one is a mixed bag. Um, there's sort of a legal drama unfolding around a girl who died during an exorcism. It's a cool concept for a movie, except for two issues. To start, 
the movie focuses entirely too much on the legal stuff and doesn't give me enough of the spooky stuff I really want. The second thing, like The Exorcist, it's very loosely based on a true story. Uh, the case has been covered in many places, including last podcast on the left. Uh, it's just kind of heartbreaking, actually. It's it's more sad than it is scary, more just like, oh, what a bummer. That fucking sucks. So um, it's based on the story of a uh, young Bavarian girl named Annalisa Mikkel. Uh, the case, you know, it's again, it's been covered in a lot of places. So if you want to look into it, you can do that. And it's fairly easy. Um, but let's get real folks. It wasn't exorcism that, that led to her death. She wasn't possessed. She had untreated epilepsy and the people who were providing her with exorcisms. Yeah. They're kind of the reason she's dead. And so I will leave a link to stuff about the Annalisa McKell case in the show notes. Just tread lightly with that one. Like I said, it's just sad. It's just a sad story. Okay, so then there's the cleansing hour. It's on Shutter. Have you ever thought, what if a hacky YouTuber existed that did nothing but exorcisms? Well, my dude, I have a movie just for you. It's a lot of fun, and the special effects are really entertaining. Um, I wouldn't call it highbrow cinema. Um it might be like a fun double feature for beyond the door or, um, or metamorphosis. Yeah. Check it out. It's a good time. But that leaves me with one movie that no one, and I mean, no one seems to be talking about when it talks, when you talk about spinoffs off the exorcist and that movie repossessed starring Leslie Nielsen and believe it or not, Linda Blair, this movie is hilarious. It's very much in the vein of like the naked gun, but everyone who's on screen seems to be having a great time. It's ridiculous. And if you haven't seen it, you gotta, once this episode is over, go watch repossessed. Um, it's, it's just the best. It's such a Joe. Have you seen repossessed? I don't think I have. Okay. Go on YouTube and try to find the trailer for it. I thought I'd seen everything. Leslie Nielsen did comedically, but clearly I was wrong. Let's see, what what is this? Not long ago, an entire world watched as a little girl and a holy exorcist battled and cast out the devil himself. But now, Linda Blair's been repossessed. And this is the only man who could possibly save her. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. I couldn't find my butt with both my hands. Linda Blair. God created man in his own image. Then how do you explain Pee Wee Herman? It's <laughs> a great line. Possessed. Of, of course I love you, yeah. Tonight, no, no. No feathers will use the whole chicken. I'm, I'm flashing back to the Richard Pryor SNL sketch of The Exorcist, where <laughs> the bed is constantly on his butt. So, yeah, I, I, it's one of the... I, I, you know, everything in this world is, is, to a certain extent, open for parody. If a thing sits in a position of authority, it's open for parody. It's open for satire. 
Repossessed is so much fun and such a brilliant send up of the whole bit. And again, it's very naked gunny. All right. So uh, back to our original point, I guess. Um, you know, in the end, I think the issue with possessions and exorcisms on film is they tend to be treated one of two ways. It's either deadly serious or it's done with its tongue planted firmly in cheek. That's not to say that these are necessarily bad things. You know, I like a movie like Metamorphosis in that it's a little predictable, but it's a lot scary. There's no jokes. It's deadly serious the entire time. And again, I am digging all of the possession-themed horror I see coming from places like Indonesia and Southeast Asia in general. But when these movies are treated deadly serious, they're not often able to handle the subject delicately enough to make it work, right? Hammy Productions and cheap filming doesn't do serious well, right? Any Neil Breen flick will tell you that. But when they are done tongue-in-cheek, they often just aren't funny. Horror comedy is genuinely hard to do well. We can have fun in horror, but it has to be done so carefully. And if these movies are well-made, you know, written well, it can sometimes mean they're not funny, or it can be. When a movie's not well-made and not well-written, it just comes off as mean-spirited. You know, think about a movie like Ghostbusters. Effective comedy, very funny. But there's a few spots in the original Ghostbusters that are actually kind of fun scares. Or uh, Tucker and Dale fight evil. It's a very silly film. And it's kind of all over the place. But the comedy is really good, and the horror of it makes sense. It's, it's, a, it's a smart commentary. They had me at the wood chipper, just saying. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I think my point is that the elements of religious horror can be fun to play with. Think folk horror. It's kind of a, a religious horror thing. But it's not easy to do well. Like I said, folk horror is related to this too. And it feels to me like exorcism and demonic possession, at least in the mainstream religious sense, feels just done to death to me. And not to say that it can't be done again and done well. But we can stop humping the corpse of our demonic buddy Pazuzu and find a new concept, right? It's a damn shame that The Exorcist is a classic because we are missing an opportunity to do something scary and fun. As always, I, I've got to ask the question, Joe, am I making any sense here at all? I think you are. I want to say that religious horror, not, not religious horror, but the idea of the demonic possession and the exorcism of that demon... I don't know how you can do that today and make it interesting. You told me a while back, watch this film, Hellhole. And what started as monks performing an exorcism, and I forget, he wasn't a monk, but he was pretending to be a monk because he, he was an investigator. Yeah, right? that's basically it's uh, a, a guy who's kind of pretending to be a Catholic monk shows up at this obscure Polish monastery, finds that stuff is, shall we say, not ordinary by the Catholic Church. And then fast forward to the horrors that come. One of the most disturbing endings to a film I've seen in a long time. Oh my God, yeah. But the demonic possession was the catalyst. That might be the most original use of the idea. 
I've seen ever because everything else has done it to death. I think you can stop with The Exorcist. And there are other films that use this possession by demons concept or the devil. Uh, One of the most absurd films I've ever seen is a sequel to the Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes. It's the devil in a lamp in the attic. It is not a good movie. You've been talking about this for two years. But by the end of the movie, you get that guy that shows up and he's the priest and he's he's going to get he's going to take over the demon. It's for him. I feel like that's the plot of Exorcist 2. Like I'm trying to find Pazuzu so that I can become Pazuzu or his vessel. Like this has been done. It's been ripped off. It's been copied. We've tried to start the story over and go back to the beginning you don't need to. Let's just stop and say for a moment that all of those religious horror movies made in the 60s and the 70s, that's enough. I don't think there's anything new to be done. You know, I I don't know that we can uh, in any meaningful way, like issue a blanket ban, no more exorcism movies for another five years so we can figure all this shit out. But the reality is... Find a way to use it. Well... I'm always a little mm, flinchy about religious horror because, you know, religion for some people is a very serious thing. And I'm, believe it or not, I am not out to offend people just for the sakes of offending them. It doesn't interest me in the slightest. And I think horror movies that do that, it's weak. It's weak and it, it shows bad writing and bad direction. But at the same time, we get it. Possession is about the loss of control. It's you are no longer in control of yourself or someone is no longer in control of themselves. This malign thing is making them do things that are probably pretty fucked up. It is a scary concept in and of itself, but there are already films doing a cool job of playing with kind of similar themes or even taking the idea of uh, dark shit happening in, in the vein. Like I'm not spoiling this for anyone. I don't think hereditary that is a brilliantly scary film. I think it's one of the better horror movies of the generation. I think it's very scary in a way that a lot of films, for whatever reason, aren't. And I think Ari Aster is a pretty, pretty damn good director for a lot of reasons. And, and just the whole bit of Hereditary is one of them. That film makes some very interesting choices mm-hmm. that by the end you feel like have nothing to do with the plot. And it feels cheap. But the whole point of those choices is to put you, the viewer, in that mindset and get you to that point where the film can terrify you. Yeah. Because it's not just a a terrifying film. It's not just a horrifying film, but it will terrify you because it does some things and it feels like for no reason, but not no reason like cheap thrills. Yeah, exactly. It makes certain choices somewhere at particular points in the plot that I think if that were just it, it would be very, very cheap. But because it's all directing you to a place that you, unless you are extremely versed in a lot of dense esoteric nonsense, you're just not going to get right. Like it shows like, again, Hereditary is one of those movies that shows you. It's ev- on the list this year, right? Um, It can be that 2024. We might, we might do Hereditary. That could be cool. Um, Hereditary, it's one of those movies, it shows you everything you need to see up front. 
you see, if you know what you're looking for, you see it instantly and go, oh, <laughs> oh, this movie's going to get weird and fucked up real quick. And then at the end of it, it all it, it it pulls all of the triggers of all of the Chekhov's guns it sets up. It's it's very brilliant in that regard. So provided that you are not needing a priest right about now, I need you to do something. I need you to answer a question. What do you think? Does the exorcist actually hold up? And what is, I guess, the best of the sequels? Is there a best sequel to that? And is there an evil spirit possession movie we should be checking out? Let us know. Email us at thefrightlabpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at fright underscore lab underscore pod. We're also at letterboxd under the name Fright Lab Pod, all one word. Also, we have launched our Discord and are slowly getting it filled with tons of stuff for you to explore. Joe, where can they find us on Discord and where might our audience find your other work? If you are a fan of hard rock, heavy metal, hardcore, all things metal, you need to be listening to every podcast we are creating at discussmetal.com. We talk about your favorite bands, my favorite bands. We talk about heavy metal topics. The Fright Lab podcast is growing. Not just the number of episodes that we release, but the number of people that we have conversations with every single day talking about scary subjects. We're going to be doing some things in 2024 that we've never done before. A couple ideas for some beer and movie-related subjects that we haven't we're not ready to discuss but the discord is the place and you can find that easily there's a link in the show notes or you can go to discord.frightlabpodcast.com it'll get you there i promise thank you for listening if this is your first time listening to the fright lab welcome if this is not your first time we appreciate you we appreciate everyone that listens to this show but what i need from you right now is take out your phone Scroll to the left, the right. Find the place in your podcast player of choice and give us that five-star review. Give us that thumbs up. Tell us how we are doing. We want to hear from all of you. You heard Lucas say it, the Fright Lab podcast at gmail.com. Lucas, tell everyone how much we love independent artists, independent media, and all things terrifying. You know, one of the things I love about this show is that it gives me an impetus every week to go find something new. And I have found so much amazing indie music, indie art, independent films. It's all out there and it's just waiting for an audience, right? So here's the thing. If you want that audience, we want to help you get it. So if you have some horror related music, a horror podcast, um, you have an indie horror joint you're trying to get some eyes on, let us know. Email us at thefrightlabpodcast at gmail.com. We want to talk to you and we want to help you get that audience. Indie media can be a thankless job, but if you want to get there, go with a team, and we want to build that team. And as always, The Fright Lab is written and conceived and researched by me, Lucas Yoakum. Joseph Wren is our producer and co-host. Seriously, without you, Joe, there is no pod for us to cast. We appreciate every single one of you, and we will talk to you all very soon. <laughs>